My name is Carrot Quinn. I am a writer and a long distance hiker, and right now I am doing humanitarian aid in southern Arizona with this group called No More Deaths that uh, does work around migration and the border down here. First thing I kind of want to ask is about your book, um, Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart. Uh, what inspired you to write that book in the first place? Well, before I hiked the PCT, I read, for like a year, I read everything I could get my hands on, and I felt like women, I feel like in books that I found on the PCT, women were usually a certain kind of character, uh, right. and they had a certain kind of relationship with the trail where a lot of them uh, didn't really want to be out there or, you know, they were dragged out there by their boyfriends or they were doing it for someone else or they were really scared and alone, but then they, like, met a man and he saved them. Um, right, yeah. And, or they weren't able to finish the trail. And then when I actually got on the trail, I found that that's not the way it was on the trail, that there were all these really awesome women who were super strong hikers um, and loved being out there and that that was the reality. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make a book that was sort of the book I wish that I had before I hiked right. that kind of showed what was actually possible and what the culture of the trail was actually like when you were on the trail. And so that was my motivation. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say culture of the trail, what, what, how would you describe that? Well, when you're actually on the trail, uh, Gender doesn't have as much of a say in how people do as I think a lot of people think. And a lot of women are just like super strong hikers and they're hiking solo or with people or doing whatever they want, you know, and they're like sleeping in the middle of the woods alone and they're not scared and they're kicking ass and they're finishing the trail and they love it and they have these adventurous lives, but, uh, when you, you know, if you look at like things online or the way things are represented in like larger media, um, that's not the story you see. Right. Yeah, definitely. So as far as women in the outdoors goes, there's a lot of, um, I think we've come a long way, but, um, have you experienced when you're in the outdoors, a lot of like gender inequality or have you, realize that it doesn't really matter at all when you're in the outdoors i haven't experienced it on the trail i just experience it online and in um i feel like within like hiking organizations you see it and then in like gear companies like for a long time it's getting a little better now but i think for a long time gear companies the way they were sizing their gear and the way they were designing it is that they were just acting as though women don't go into the outdoors at all Mm -hmm. and there was this idea that it seems like gear companies thought that if women did go into the outdoors that they only wanted to wear like toddler colors and that they had no dignity right and so outdoor gear was just like really terrible it was so terrible it was like pastel just awfully designed just very tightly fitted and packs weren't sized for women right what were some of the women like that you met while you were on the trail um they were just like really experienced long distance hikers who were really confident and just as strong hikers as the guys on the trail and they're out there because they loved it and uh, I met a lot of women who you know structure their lives around um, being free and having adventures and they're not worried about uh, whether or not they'll have to do something solo or what people will think of them or and they're not like scared when they're in the woods because they understand that um, the farther you get from towns, the safer you are. 
Right. And yeah, and they just like they had just as good of understanding as everything as the guys who were hiking, and uh, it was great. It was really inspiring and eye opening, and I learned a ton from other women. And yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So um, you've hiked the PCT twice, um, and then also you've done the Continental Divide, right? Yes. Um, so why did you start the trail in the first place? Um, I discovered long distance hiking and figured it was something I like, I would like, and then I tried it and I loved it. Right. Was, is there a favorite stretch of the PCT that you have? Um, I, my favorite hiking is desert hiking. And so that, and, and I think also because it's the first part of the PCT when you're going northbound. So it was sort of right. my first experience of my first long distance trail. And so it'll always have like a really special place in my heart, the desert section. Right. Uh, I feel like when everyone's hiking the desert section, they're like, oh, you know, soon we'll be to the Sierras and we'll be through this. And we just have to suffer through it. And everybody's hot and they have butt chafe and, you know, you have to carry a lot of water. But then when people are done, a lot of people afterwards are like, I miss the desert. And, and there's a sort of fondness for it. Right. Um, and I've, like, ever since I hiked PCT the first time, I've just really loved desert hiking. Yeah. So, um, but did, the whole the whole PCT is really beautiful. Yeah. So the way it's routed is, like, really magical. It goes through some really incredible stuff. Right. Um, did you experience any hardships while you were hiking? Yes. Uh, there's a lot. There, you know, there's, like, the, the standard hardships that you experience on a long distance trail and I think that the more you do them the more you get familiar of like what is likely to happen and what is not likely to happen and you sort of develop ways to deal with each of the different things that can go awry um so there's times where I was super short on water and was you know really thirsty by the time I got to the next water and there were times where I had really bad chafe uh there were times when I was sick um the times where my feet hurt, you know, yeah. all the usual stuff. Right. Um, do you, in terms of where, how you've gotten where you are now with um, your book and also the blog you run, how did you, what was the sec- like sequence of events to be where you are now? I've written since I was nine years old. Um, and... Uh, I discovered long distance hiking. I had a friend who hiked the PCT in 2011, I think. And he had, I'd sort of heard about it through him. And then I discovered ultralight backpacking uh, and tried that out on a four day trip. And that was a lot more comfortable than long distance, than regular backpacking. I think if I hadn't discovered ultralight backpacking, I never would have done the PCT because regular backpacking is like with a full, like with hiking boots and really heavy gear is like pretty miserable and awful. And then, um, I discovered ultralight backpacking and went on a trip and it was so fun. And I was like, if I hike the PCT, I can do this for five months. So then I spent like a year planning the PCT and did the PCT and I loved it. Uh, so then I just started structuring my life around doing these long trails, which a lot of people who do a lot of long trails will like sort of build their life around it, you know, like mm-hmm. find seasonal work that they can do so that they can take time off. Or some people will like work a year and then do a hike and then work another year. Or, um, some people like there are people who are teachers who have the summer off or travel nurses or like all these different lifestyles where you can 
build your life around like having time for you to do these trails. Um, so I really loved it. So for the past four years, I've been hiking right. for a chunk of the year. So do you think you are now part of this like big community of people? Like, yeah, I mean, the long distance community is like super super varied there's like thousands and thousands of people who do these trails um so it can be hard to say like what the community is or isn't um but like i have like i've made like some of my best friends on the long trails and um i continue to hike with those people uh on other trails and we make plans together and there definitely is like a community of people that you can you can like make friends on these trails and then stay in touch with people and plan other hikes and meet other people and um, sometimes you'll be on a trail that so few people hike that you'll like get to know everyone on the trail that year, which is really cool. And you all like share this experience together and it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty special thing. Yeah, definitely. So do you think, um, hiking on these like three pretty epic trails, do you think you've grown as a person? Yeah. Um, I think I've learned a lot I think long distance hiking can teach you a lot. It's taught me a skill set that um, is a pretty cool thing to have. Um, like I've, it's it's kind of a repetitive activity, and so I feel like I've like really fine tuned uh, the way I like to hike. And like I've learned a lot about navigation, and I've learned a lot about maps and logistics and terrain and weather and the different landscapes I've hiked through. Like. I never would have just driven to those places in a car and explored them. And so when you spend like months in an area, you learn, you get like an intimacy with the land right. that I think would be hard to develop a different way. You know, like if, like if you're hiking across Utah for two months, uh, like I did this spring, you know, I was sleeping. I didn't know anything about like the Canyon country of Southern Utah before that. And then for two months, I, slept outside every night and walked all day through this area and this landscape and like learned so much. And now I feel like I have this intimacy with that land Mm -hmm. uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise. And it's like a really wonderful way to learn about a landscape and connect to it. Definitely. Just like walk across it. Yeah. No, I like, I'm, I've never heard it put into words that way. I really like that. Um, so in terms of what you're doing now, um, yeah, if you just want to explain kind of what you're doing in Arizona right now and all the humanitarian work you're doing. Yeah, uh, so No More Deaths is a humanitarian aid organization in southern Arizona that does work around the border. And what I do right now is called Desert Aid, and I go out with a group of people every day, and we put water and food and socks in the desert at these certain locations that have been sort of mapped as popular migrant trails. And then we, every time we go, we like check on, check on everything, like clean up our trash from last time, put down new water. And we also do a lot of sort of scouting where we check out new areas and look for um, trails that we don't know about before or places that would be really good to leave water that where there's like a really high need. Because current U.S. Border Patrol policy um, is called prevention through deterrence. And what that means is um, the way that checkpoints are placed near the border, it funnels people crossing into the remotest and deadliest parts of the desert. And so thousands of people have died attempting to cross in recent years. And in the last week, we actually found five different sets of human remains 
which is really intense. Yeah. Uh, and so that's their actual policy. Like, that's intentional. Um, they intentionally funnel people into these really hardcore areas. Uh, but it doesn't, it, like, it doesn't stop people from crossing. Right. Because people have to cross. It just, um, it just kills them and makes it, like, really, really dangerous. So we try to get to these areas and figure out where people are, and we try to do humanitarian aid. And we also, like, uh, when we find human remains, so there's, there's, there's like, you know, a huge amount of missing persons in the area that people who have attempted to cross, and then they were never heard from, and then their families will call a hotline and say, you know, so-and-so was last seen here, and we haven't seen him. And so when we find human remains, uh, we... Um, there's people in the organization that will like work with the sheriff to try and go recover the remains, which is actually really difficult because the sheriffs don't want to because they don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, which is insane to think like if someone found like the remains of five people in Washington, like what would happen? You yeah, know, it'd be much like how much deal, of yeah. a, like yeah, it would be like front page. You know, like missing hikers, five different people. Um, but here it's like, we have to, like, when we find a set of remains, we have to call the sheriff in that county and just call them day after day. And there's one set of remains that was found a week ago where the sheriff still hasn't gone out. And it's like, they were having a potluck, the sheriffs, and then something else. And they just like, haven't gone out where they'll say they've gone out and recovered the remains. And then we'll go back and check and they'll still be there. So, uh, it's a process to like get the sheriff to recover the remains. And then we try and, uh, connect the remains with like, the information on missing persons in hopes of, you know, letting someone's family know, uh, yeah. like helping families get closure, Definitely. which is really important because, um, so many families don't because so many of these remains are never found. Right. Yeah. Well, that's and that's really what I'm amazing. Right yeah. <laughs> um, and that's something I feel like not many people think about when they're thinking about humanitarian aid. That's not necessarily what they first draw to. How did you get involved with that in the first place? Um, well, I had a sort of long-term, I had a long-term plan about how I wanted to create change in popular culture in the U.S. And it was around, like, building a platform for my writing and then uh, writing about things that would help influence popular culture. And then Trump was elected, and I realized that, like, my 20-year plan wasn't necessarily applicable anymore mm-hmm. and that things were going to start happening really fast and so okay. I wanted to get involved in something that was a little more immediate and I'd known about No More Deaths for a long time I had some friends who'd come down here and done work with them and um, I just thought it might be a really good fit so I signed up for one of their month long volunteer programs and came down and uh, it's a really good fit so I'm moving to Tucson wow. so that I can work with them for longer that's which is really exciting yeah that's really exciting um I guess that that kind of segues my my next question, which might it might still just be no more deaths, but is this um, influencing you to want to do other humanitarian work, not necessarily just this, but any other programs? I think I definitely want to. Uh, well, the more so, the more I think the more I stick with something, and the more I learn, the more useful I can actually be. Right. Definitely. So I think, uh, just you know, if I decide that doing work around. Um, immigration and the border in the U.S. is something that um, feels right and feels like it fits, that I'll probably stick with this for a while. Yeah. 
Um, but I definitely, there's all sorts of activism that I'm interested in and that I feel like is super important, like really, really important. And I'm really excited by how with the new Trump administration, like all these people are being energized that maybe before were just comfortable enough to sort of, you know, be apathetic, mm-hmm. um, which I think we all had that a little bit. Definitely. And now I think people are really energized and a lot of people are getting involved and there's like so, so much stuff to get involved with that's super, super important right now. And so this is just one thing, but I definitely feel like this is something that I could stick with for a while. Um, and that the longer I stuck with it, the more, the more good I think I could do. Yeah. I think that, uh, Trump and his cabinet are really scary and that, Mm -hmm. um, this is a really, really, really important time to be alive historically. And that, there's a lot of ways to get involved and they're all like really important and really valid. And as far as, you know, people's fears around taking risks with their lives in any way, like with long distance hiking or with getting involved with activism, there's no safe bets in life. Like there's no safe, like we're going to die. Like no matter what you do, you're going to die. You know, like whether you just get a job that gives you benefits and a good paycheck and buy a house and have kids and, you know, do everything you can to try and play it safe and quote unquote, make it in this very, like, I don't know, traditional idea of a sense, or mm-hmm. you, you know, live in a van and, um, long distance hike or commit yourself to, you know, work part of the year. If you can do activism the rest of the year or whatever you do, like there's no safe bets, like you're going to die. Like we're all going to die. And so you might as well, um, make yourself, like, I don't know, like live the sort of life that is in line with your, like your own ideas about, you know, what a meaningful life is and what morality is and, you know, be brave and take risks. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I think people, I feel like people almost think that they can, if they play it really safe, that there's something to gain from that. Right. But there's not. 